Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, featuring the vocal talents of Shamik Moore, Haley Steinfeld, Brian Tyree Henry, Luna Lauren Valles, Jake Johnson, Jason Schwartzman, Issa Rae, and Oscar Isaac. Written by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller and Dave Callahan and directed by Joaquim Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson. Uh, three directors on this film, but as we get into it, I think we might understand why. Welcome yeah. back to Rice Smile Films. It's time to churn along with the summer movie box office season. Uh, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, sometimes it uh, takes away uh, at the same time. Uh, and we'll, we'll see where we land this week with Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. This is the sequel to 2018 Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And Matt, you and I, we always have a pretty good time, whether it's making fun of how bad it is or reveling in its brilliance we always have fun when it's talking about spider-man yeah it's a really lovable character and i think there's two ways that are going to never leave us with a shortage of things to talk about that's your guy and my guy batman and spider-man so um yeah we've covered a, a good a good share of both and i think a good share yet to be discussed so i think thus far we've done the original raimi uh the amazing spider-man 2 mark's mark webb's uh amazing spider-man 2 we did Spider-Man uh, Far From Home, his London escapades. We mm-hmm. did Spider-Man uh, No Way Home, the live-action multiverse adventure. And now here, our fifth venture into the Spider-Verse. Our first uh, animated film that we've done in, in quite some time, I think not since the Pixar cast. So there's kind of a lot of interesting things in play here. Spider-Man, animation, summer box office. I mean, we're, we're dancing all around it right now. Interesting entry for the summer box office fair, I think not because it's one that, you know, you wouldn't expect to see in the summer, but I think it feels like on the surface slated more for a November release. And I don't know why I feel like that other than the color palette, which this gets out of the way is vibrant and absolutely beautifully breathtaking the entire film. Yes. Plays with like, I think darker colors that seem to be more of a winter Mm -hmm. or fall than a summer. Um, I also think it's interesting that this is a summer film because it's an animated movie that's got a PG 13. Mm -hmm. I think that maybe is a bit of a stretch. I don't really know if it needed that. I think it could have got with PG. Mm -hmm. Frankly, I don't even know what pushed it to the PG 13 level. Yeah. We're not, we're not, we're not making heavy metal over here. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, no women are fucking toasters in this movie. Yeah, no, okay. no. Uh, <laughs> uh, with gorgeous Stevie Nicks. Okay, weird. Um, I kind of, I kind of like that movie. <laughs> I'd love to do that on the show one day. Yeah, I love that film. Adult, yeah. adult animation. Yeah, that, that's a wild mm-hmm. ride. Um, um, go ahead. You know, this. I think when we did our box office summer blockbuster list. Yes. I'm pretty sure this checked in around. Oh my god! Before I skip that, I tell everybody no. Um, on the deck at our little place we're staying in Vero Beach right now, mm-hmm. and the sky is on fire with lightning. I wish you were here. It is gorgeous. So Dude, you're in the Spider Verse. 
I have <laughs> bright purples and pinks that just spider webbing through the sky. It's beautiful. But I think this checked in back to the point. Maybe like three on about both of our lists. I think this was third. It, the, it definitely it definitely made both of ours. I can't remember the placement yeah. on each, but I think we were both kind of feeling it that if if it came out and people warmly received it, it could have some legs through the summer box office. So, yep. yeah, we'll talk all about that. I hope you have a good drink on your end. I'm bottle killing the, uh, oh, goodness, uh, what's what's the brand? Uh, the Basil Hayden's Red Wine Cask, and I also have a can of liquid, uh-huh. liquid death water over here, too. Going with the Bombay Sapphire and Tonic Hall Double Lime. There you go, man. You're, you're in full vacay <laughs> mode right now. <laughs> Well, all right, let's yeah, let's, let, hit the spot. yeah, let's jump right into our flight question. Alrighty, why don't you hit us with that flight question this week? I thought maybe we'd try something we haven't tried before, and that's build a question based on the future of Marvel. Like, <laughs> what a novel idea. <laughs> what do you think? Should we try that for a time? Yeah, sure. We've never talked about uh, the current status <laughs> of Marvel uh, properties before, but yeah, let's jump right in. Well, raise up. I'll salute the first time. <laughs> and then here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Three properties. Yeah. Uh, This can be individual or team-based that you feel as of right now, post this Across the Spider-Verse film, are in the worst shape for Marvel. Uh, Okay, yeah, let's do, yeah, three, three. three. three, two, two, one, one. Yeah, that sounds good. My number three, um, uh, let me, kind of doing some last-minute rearranging here. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to go with whatever the world of the Hulk, Hulk side characters, whatever that even looks like right now. Uh, that's going to uh, clock in at number three for me. Uh, yeah, when last we saw Hulk, uh, it was in uh, <laughs> episode one of, of She-Hulk, and yeah. and I couldn't even finish that show. And it's, it's a real shame because, you know, you and I have kind of a mutual acquaintance who worked on that show. Uh, yeah. And I just, yeah, I couldn't do it. I just, I didn't like the comedy. Uh, I didn't like the vibe. Uh, so I don't know what the plans are for that, those characters. And they introduced hulking in that. And maybe there was probably a dropped reference to Amadeus Chow in there too. And I'm like, man, are we really going there? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the world of the Hulk. And I still think that that character's rights are tied up at Universal in some weird vault where he can't even get his own solo film because of that. So... Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with the Hulkiverse uh, for my number three. That sounds like a mess. Yeah. Uh, and maybe the fact that he can't get his own film is doing you a favor to keep it from becoming even more messy. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, the, the troubling thing about that is when you take maybe like the leader aside and you look at the Abomination and Scar and Red Hulk and Amadeus Chow to a certain extent, there is a nice little gamma world that they can play with there. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't feel like they've created 
a playing field that is strong enough for anybody to want to digest what that's going to take. Sure. Um, yeah. And it, through no fault of, of the Hulk. And I think in, in films where he's part of a team mm-hmm. as a, a member, he's, he's rather, rather effective. Yeah. But, I, I think they're still also rolling around too with whatever professor Hulk from Endgame, And I just, I didn't, even, uh, I didn't even like that there. So yeah, they, uh, that she Hulk thing was really tough. Okay. That's a good one. I, you know, I was surprising I didn't even I didn't even come to the Hulk, but that's a really good one. Cool. That's a really good one. What's your three? Okay, so I'm going to see your Hulk and raise you the world of the Pym dynasty because I think <laughs> Ant-Man, the Wasp, and all things Pym are maybe not as strong but equally small and just disastrous. <laughs> it's really a shame to me yeah. from a film that started off with minimal low, low, low expectations like you and I both had for the Ant-Man that slayed the first one the way that it did. Yeah. Great use of comedy. Mm-hmm. Paul Rudd was perfect. Yeah. His little hijinks that his, his team put together for the thefts was brilliant. Yeah. And my- then we got into number two and we started to limp along. Yeah. And man, by the time Quantumania finished, whoo, I feel like I should put on Quadrophenia by the Who and I hate that band too and rather listen to that than watch that movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, that that that's uh, in a state of disarray. When you know that that film could have had a lot more stakes, and everyone can just go back and listen to that particular episode and how kind of frustrated we were, and the Modoc of it all, and the Kang of it all, and the Jonathan Majors yeah. of it all. It's just yeah, it's just all over the place. I have to say before we get into the twos, if we were to start off this whole you know first time we've ever delved into a question of this sort on the show, mm-hmm. and and go down this road of well, I think the Ant-Man world is a mess, and I think the Hulk world is a mess. I would probably shrug my shoulders and say, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Those characters suck. Yeah. So I don't think this is anything that's unprecedented yet. So maybe the first, the third selections for each of us is picking low-hanging fruit yeah. in Marvel canon proper. But uh, I think two and one are going to be pretty telling. So I'll let you do your two first, and I'll hit my two seconds. Yeah, my number two, I'm going with the big heavy hitter character here. I'm going with Thor and whatever is left of the remnants of that thing. Uh, Thor, <laughs> Love and Thunder, uh, the adventures yep. of Starsky and Hutch across the galaxy. I just don't know what their plan is with Chris Hemsworth. He yeah. kind of seems like he's out, but, you know, he'll probably mm. bounce around for a Secret Wars or a King Dynasty here. I mean, he's the only one left of, like, this major, the major team uh, still floating around in these things, but comedic wise tone wise i just i have no idea what they're doing with that character anymore i don't even think chris hemsworth knows anymore and yeah i think that's kind of a shame i think they got him into from regal to palatable to awesome to kind of ruining it again (laughs) yeah yeah i don't get it Uh, he's been a roller coaster as of late you don't care about sif or valkyrie or any of those other ones huh? absolutely not uh, it's a good one, Jesse. Um, again, if you were to say like Thor's a disaster, you'd be like, yeah, the comic sucks, so maybe we're still on par with that. But um, it's a shame that I feel that has sort of taken the same exact path that Ant-Man took. And I, I got to tell you, too, I mean, a lot of this, I think, is like, there's a lot of endgame folly in a lot of my uh, answers because Professor Hulk was established there, and then they had... You know Jeff Lebowski, uh, Thor in Endgame, and I, I kind of felt like Endgame really ruined a, a really interesting Thor that was established in Ragnarok and Infinity War, and 
if they did that for a few chuckles, that's okay, whatever. But, you know, I think they've really kind of harmed the character in doing so. Fair. Yeah. Uh, very fair. Okay, number two for me is the unfortunate right now nation of Wakanda. I mm-hmm. uh, just don't know if I give a damn about any of that right now other than the way that it looks for about five minutes. Yeah. Here's the mistake that they made that they shouldn't have made, and it goes back to Black Panther original. Yeah. Never, ever, ever should have killed Killmonger. Yeah. Now, with this multiverse aspect of Marvel that's been introduced, there's probably 50,000 more that we can introduce at the drop of a hat. But then you get into the fish out of the water and a semi-origin story, and that just takes up more screen time than it needs to do with the character we've already established. I think Wakanda, for as cool as it looks, is a mess. Yeah. Uh, the problem with using Shuri is that was the tech. Yeah. That's like taking, and we're, I'm going to reference this a lot today. Mm-hmm. That's like taking Barbara Gordon, the Oracle, yeah. taking her out of the chair, putting her back in the suit and giving her the ability to be the bat character that runs Gotham. Yeah. I think when they took Shuri out of that technology role, they ruined what made Wakanda so technologically superior yeah. from everyone else. And I, I, I'm sitting here comparing it to the other three franchises that we've mentioned. Yeah. And I think I'd sooner watch, or I'd have more interest in trying to rekindle some interest in the Pym world mm-hmm. than I would in Wakanda going forward right now. Yeah. So and I, th- I think a lot of that was kind of, you know, tossled yeah, unfortunate ab- circumstances. Yeah. Tossed about by the untimely passing of, of Chadwick Boseman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, maybe did I maybe I mentioned this when we did a Wakanda Forever, which I was a little more higher on than than you were, but I kind of thought an idea of like you call it like Black Panthers plural, and it's kind of like a team of them, right? It's yeah. Umbaku, yeah. It, it's Shuri, it's Okoye, it's uh, Killmonger from the Grave. <laughs> it's just like a team sure. of them uh, sure. as the enforcers and protectors of the nation of Wakanda, and maybe they might still yeah. go there. I don't know what the future plans are. Uh, uh, you want to talk about the underlying villain of this whole list we're doing. Talk about the writer's strike because it's delaying these films constantly. Uh, Blade yep. got pushed back, I think, another year and a half, uh, which is Ooh. supposed to be the phase five capper. Um, and they just can't. They don't have a writer. So what are they going to do? Wait. Mm-hmm. Wait, I guess. We're going to wait. Yep. Okay, number one. Let's see where we're at. Number one for me, it's uh, the, the, and they've been really pushing this in a lot of different iterations and end scenes. And I do not think I give one lick about what this looks like. What am I going to call this? The world of the spy hero. So this would be Captain America, Bucky, uh, Florence Pugh, the Thunderbolts, uh, uh, Julia Louis Von Trapp. Uh, whatever they're planning with that and John Walker, U.S. agent and uh, Red Guardian, I I could not care in the slightest. Uh, it's just an area that could be interesting, but they are taking the real long, weird way to get there. And I think my interest is out on that one completely. Some discussion a while ago about that becoming the Thunderbolts, right? Taking those villains uh, yeah, and them into yeah, the, the, that's but, happening. That's that's a movie that's being planned. I just, yeah, I'm kind of with you on that, Jesse. I don't know. It just feels like I don't know. Second tier Avengers baddies that 
had enough problems with the flag smashers to where mm-hmm. I can't see them posing any kind of a threat to anyone at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and bland, I mean, just absolutely bland, whitewashed so, bland. So I think I'll, I think I'll just call it the, the world of the espionage hero. So that kind of whole yeah. remnants of shield and whatever that is and looks like is kind of my in the worst shape going forward. Ooh, that's a good one. That's mm-hmm. a really good one. Yeah. Uh, my number one is whatever in the hell is left of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want no part of Cracklin and Cosmo and Brawny Groot and Nebula and who the hell cares. Yeah. You can't take, even if you have a couple remnants that are held over, you yeah. can't take Drax and Gamora, and Quill, and Rocket, and those big personalities, and wipe them out yeah. while leaving a Groot, another talking animal, so make up a makeup Rocket, Cosmo. Cosmo? Yeah. Come on. Another Yondu? Man, it, it feels so reheated. Stouffer's TV dinner, Tuesday night, leftover, single guy in his mid-50s, on the TV tray watching Wheel of Fortune, I just have no appetite for that. Yeah. Um, I, and we'll see. I mean, maybe there is no plans, but it was pretty clear at the end of that film that they had the intention of introducing GOTG 2.0. Yeah. And uh, I think the whole <laughs> thing needs to just be retired. I think we might uh, still have an opportunity to see... Uh, the original Guardians, maybe one last time for whatever the team up, Kang Dynasty or Secret Wars. I think I think we might still get a little, well, like one more one more chance with them, uh, and then they can roll it out to pasture. <laughs> They're going to need something. Uh, there's just not enough heavy hitters left to take on Kang. But that's my honorable mention. Yeah, talking about him. If, if we even and... if we even get to Kang, Matt. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's yeah, it's very fair. Up until about fifteen minutes ago, that was going to be my number one. We cut the show on that. Uh, probably end up talking about him a little bit later on, so we'll wait. Okay. Um, that character is a mess. Mm-hmm. Here's let's leave the legal stuff aside. Although I do want to acknowledge there's that piece which could cause some problems. Yeah. The secondary piece is it's sort of redoubling down. Yeah. So is that tripling down, redoubling down, quadrupling down, <laughs> minus a down, and then add one? Yeah. Yeah. On what they already did in Endgame. If mm-hmm. he's a time-hopping element, yeah. we just did that. Mm-hmm. And then when you add to it, and I know the King Dynasty, which, by the way, I told you I bought that Omnibus and yeah. I read it. Yeah, uh, I kind of didn't read it. <laughs> I, I'm about halfway through, and I'm like, I don't like this. The art's beautiful. It's Kurt Busiek at his best. But I don't know, Jesse. Like I'll, I'll summon, like, try to shine through it when we get home, and mm-hmm. then I'll let you borrow it. But that's not a great story. And on top of everything else with the time hopping element that's there, we also have that other thing that bugs the shit out of me and that there could be 50,000 of them. So if you kill one, yeah, doesn't matter. And we're going to see it because <laughs> Loki and Owen Wilson are going to chase him down in whatever the hell series that's going to be next that they're doing. Loki season two, which, well, man, hard pass. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet man. Sign me up there. Oh yeah. You got any honorable mentions? Um, 
I think may I think maybe that was that that was, those are the ones that definitely jumped out at me, and it's definitely the biggest sampling size we've had so far for me to kind of give some judgment on. Um, yeah. What about you? Yeah, I think that's pretty good. I mean, the, the other one too. When we saw, I don't know what trailers you got before your Spider Verse, but the trailer that I saw before the Spider Verse that left me completely cold and is a very, I think, shocking admission for Marvel is yeah. the Marvel. Yeah they really rounded the edges on Captain Marvel for that and made her almost kind of slapsticky, yeah. um, silly. And I cannot take Kamala Khan screaming for two hours because that is <laughs> what that's going to be. I, I can't do it. I know. And literally no one, no one, no one cares yeah. about Monica Rambeau. No one, no one cares. Yeah. No one cares. It's, yeah, that one's going to be, that one's going to be a tough one. Uh, the one aspect, <laughs> yeah. that one, yeah. the one aspect in that trailer that I am curious about as a story mechanism is kind of how they like, kind of like body swap. Yeah. into like the place where they last went. And I was like, ah, like a, from like a writing story perspective, that could create a lot of interesting dynamics. And we haven't really seen something like that before, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I burned all of Ms. Uh, the, the Kamala Khan show on Disney plus, And yeah, it was, it was a lot of that. Yeah. And then uh, spoiler alert, they, they revealed at the end that she was a mutant, that she was an X, yep. like an X-Men. That was kind of like the, sorry, everybody, spoiler alert, but that's like the stinger on uh, episode six of Miss Marvel. And they even played the little do 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 They played like the little like X-Men tune when they said it too. Mm. And I'm like, okay, you're setting that up, but where are they? Where's the rest of them? Who knows? Um, yet to be seen. Yeah, yet, yet, to, to, be yet seen. to be seen. But hey, that's enough talking about the dregs of Marvel. Let's talk about something that I know you and I are going to have a fun time talking about. It's the world of Spider-Man, the world of the Spider-Verse. So let's jump into our view breakdown of Across the Spider-Verse. Miles, being Spider-Man is a sacrifice. You have a choice between saving one person and saving every world. Send me home. I can't do that. I can do both! Spider-Man, always. Not always. What about Uncle Ben? If not for Uncle Ben, most of us wouldn't be here. Can't stop me now! You can't run forever, kid! I can't lose one more friend. Miguel, this isn't what we talked about! You knew? I had no idea what you're doing! Everyone keeps telling me how my story is supposed to go. Nah. I'm gonna do my own thing. All stations, stop Spider-Man. You, 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 Oh, I get there's a lot of loaded dialogue in that little trailer clip that I played there. We gotta have to kind of get into the weeds with some of that. But Matt, before we get started, because we've never done an official episode on Into the Spider-Verse, and I don't know, we might have to change that, you know, sometime next year. Uh, yeah. Uh, I want to read to you, um, I came across the screenplay for this, you know, a, a while back, and I want to read to you, this is some of my favorite, you know, writing in recent memory, and I think you're really going to like this, so... Uh, this is from okay. the the first film screenplay. This is when Miles suits up for the first time and he's on top of the building and he leaps for the first time. Yeah. It's there toward, towards the end of the film. So I'm just going to read it to you. So exposition and then there's some dialogue. Um, but just kind of pay attention to the, the exposition. I think is really good. Um, okay. Okay. So with each strike uh, of lightning, we flash to Miles' journey to get to the top of the building. 
Flash, that's bold. Miles exits the subway. Flash, in bold. Miles approaches the Spider-Man suits in the Spidey hideout. Flash, Miles spray paints a suit. Jefferson, uh, voiceover. I see that this spark in you. It's amazing. Whatever you choose to do with it, you'll be great. Rio, voiceover. Our family doesn't run from things. Uncle Aaron, voiceover. You're the best of all of us, Miles. You're on your way. Just keep going. Miles, voiceover. When do I know I'm Spider-Man? Question mark. Back on Miles, moving closer and closer to the edge. Uh, Peter B. Parker, voiceover. You won't. That's all it is, Miles. A leap of faith. Miles walks to the edge of the roof, the wind buffeting, and leaps. The camera is upside down. Miles isn't falling through frame. He's rising, and that's all in caps. And I think that's a really great way to write that sequence because visually when you see him, he's literally, he's falling to the cityscape, but the way it's turned upside down, it's he's, he's kind of rising and kind of ascending to the mantle of being the Spider-Man. Yeah. And the first time I saw that, I, I was like, wow, that just like perfectly captures, you know, the moment when a hero becomes the hero, right? Mm-hmm. I thought I thought yeah. you would like that, you know, especially from you know the screenwriting perspective. Uh, these two cats, uh, Phil Lord, Christopher Miller, I've been fans of these guys for a while. Uh, they did the Lego Movie. Uh, they had some to do with the Lego Batman movie. Uh, their big kind of claim to fame was Twenty One and Twenty Two Jump Street. Yeah, and then yeah, okay, also, good. and then also, notoriously fired from Solo: A Star Wars Story, and then you know Ron Howard was hired in their place. So boy, what a blessing they gave them to fire them from that film. That's probably couldn't get off that thing. What a yeah, be thanking everybody for that. Or I, I wonder too. I wonder if their particular tone and brand of comedy and just way of telling a story was just so drastically different from the Star Wars brand that it's kind of scared them. Solo could have maybe been really unique, uh, and then it just turned into kind of a just this bland nothing, uh, this bland Ron Howard uh, patch up job. <laughs> Yep. So yeah, these guys have been on my on my radar for a while, and when they uh, they they turned out into the Spider Verse, you know, we kind of chatted a little bit last week. I know that was kind of very low on our radar, and I think both surprised us considerably. So mm-hmm. here here we are, five years later with the sequel. Um, let's start at the beginning here. Uh, the the last film started out by talking about the Spider Man, uh, and you know all his adventures and all his Spidey Bells Christmas album. And I kind of yeah. like that we're doing the same thing, comic panel, but this time we're starting with Gwen Stacy. I know her as Spider-Gwen, but I guess she's Spider-Woman in this universe, Earth-65. Yeah. And we're learning a little bit about her story, her origins, and I kind of really like this. I kind of like how it takes the Spider-Man origin that you and I are so familiar with and yeah. kind of, uh, you know, twists it on its on its head a bit. Uh the, yeah. the thing being that she was best friends with Peter Parker and, you know, Peter's the one that bites the bullet instead of Gwen Stacy. Matt, as a Spider-Man fan, they're playing fast and loose with kind of creating their own mythos for this relationship. Uh, what do you think of how they kind of reinvent this part of the story? Over and over and over the story of Gwen Stacy, which is one that I love, mm-hmm. is the same tragic end, right? Off the building, snap, there goes the neck and he hauls her up. Yeah. What if, and this is what, I can't believe I'm about to say this. This is what can happen with this multiple or, you know, the multiverse. Yeah. What if it's flipped, Jesse? Yeah. What if she's the one that's been bestowed with these powers 
and he just wants to be close to her. Mm -hmm. And so he goes through this crazy progress or this crazy process. You know what I thought of? This is going to blow your mind. When he turns himself into the lizard, the first thing that popped into my head was whore high. Oh, yeah, you're right. I didn't think about that. Yeah, Mr. Mumps. Mr. Mumps. So, yeah, in order to try to connect with Gwen and be, I don't know if her equal, but maybe understand her, I think in an attempt to really be close to her. Yeah. He imbues himself essentially with the um, Kirk Connors uh, regeneration formula. Yeah. And turns himself into the lizard. Mm Mm-hmm. To then only meet his untimely end and the roles are reversed, which essentially is that romance, whether it's Gwen's death or now Peter's death, is ultimately doomed. Yeah. And so she's tried and she speaks, you know, over and over and over. It comes to the same thing where like one of us ends up dead. Well, then what do you do with her? Mm-hmm. Because Glenn, Gwen is stuck sort of the same role that Spidey's stuck in and all that canon. Yeah which is guilt. I guess Mary Jane will do mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> because Gwen's gone. So let's put the shoe on the other foot and maybe Miles is going to have to do because Peter's gone. Yeah. Really good parallelism in the writing and very, very interesting. I was a big fan of that. Yeah. And I like how they, they kind of do that with like music. I guess she's trying to join some sort of like ska punk, whatever band and she's the drummer yeah. and like you get to kind of see how angry the character is not through action, but through <laughs> animation and music and the changing of the color palette. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought that was wild. I thought it was, it was a great use of music and, and color and color palette to, to, to show all that. Uh, yeah. I'm a big fan of Haley Steinfeld too. I think she's, she does a great job in this, you know, as you know, great as, you know, these vocal performances can be. I mean, I think she, she brings something to this role of this character that I know you and I really like, I think you even more. So I think, the Gwen Stacy and kind of whatever iteration I think is maybe the most important Spider-Man character to you, maybe outside of the main guy. Jesse, that's the girl that I first fell in love with. Yeah. You know, I've talked about the relationship between him and Felicia Hardy, the black cat mm-hmm. and like how hot that was. Mm-hmm. So it's 11 year old me like, Oh my God, this is just so hot. She keeps calling him lover and she only wants to be with him when he's in his spider suit. So, <laughs> you know, like all of that, whatever complexity there was. Yeah. <clears throat> Gwen was heart and soul, man. Yeah. So when he lost his girlfriend and when I read that, he death of Gwen Stacy, the night Gwen Stacy died. Mm-hmm. Well, part of my girlfriend died that night. So any version of her, I'm excited to see, but I also do approach it with an element of trepidation because sure. sometimes it gets Mark webbed and, <laughs> um, it gets Mark webbed up, <laughs> but you know what, to be fair to that film, I don't think you and I mm-hmm. have ever had a problem with Emma Stone's version of Gwen Stacy. It was just all the shit happening nope. around that was a sure. gigantic mess. Yeah. Uh, but no, I'm with you. I think I think this is a great way to start it. It's we're, I don't even think we see Miles for like 15 minutes into this film. Uh, well, the other thing too that's really great about Spider Gwen, yeah, is her costume kicked ass. Yeah, I, that color palette is awesome. Yeah, like pink. Of course, she like. Yeah, of course, and it would be a hoodie. Wouldn't it be a hoodie? Of course, it would be a hoodie. Yeah, white hoodie with like some purple and pink and some turquoise. Yeah, that's that's pretty. It's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another thing I didn't expect going into this film was how important the Captain Stacy police character within the Spider World was going to play in this story. 
and yeah, when you really kind of break it down and think about it, yeah, Captain Captain Stacy, you know, kind of what was his future after after Gwen died in the in the comic books? Well, they, they kind of show you in this film. I think he dies, right? He died, yeah, yeah. Kind of meets a tragic end, and even you know later we're going to get a kind of a glimpse into the Andrew Garfield verse, and we get to see that scene with him and Dennis Leary uh, dying. It's keep Gwen out of this, Peter. Uh, and then Jefferson Morales, uh, Jefferson Davis in the comic books, uh, Miles's father, he's kind of in the same role, right? This police yeah. authoritative figure that once he assumes this mantle is going to be in this position where it's, he's going to be kind of caught in the line of fire. I had no yep. idea going into this thing that this film was going to make me care about the Captain Stacy character insert uh, the way it, it was. And we get that right here at the beginning with, you know, when... Um, we get our first kind of big action bit, uh, really uniquely done. Italian Renaissance Vulture. <laughs> awesome, dude. Awesome. Yeah, like it's just yeah, some Da Vinci creation. Uh so in the Da Vinci verse, uh Earth Whatever, uh the vulture has gotten his wings a little bit early and he comes into Earth 65 all like sepia toned and his animation's yeah. <laughs> different. I that was wild. It was wild. Uh, and yeah, Gwen's got to do battle with this uh, guy here at the at the at the Met, and you know her father's there, and and Father Stacy is like, we got to find this Spider Woman. We got to because he killed your friend Gwen. Like we we got to do something about this. And in the middle of this action scene, we're introduced to two more Spider people, Miguel O'Hara and Jessica Drew. They kind of come in through a portal and they all kind of team up to take down the vulture in this really cool action bit. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about those two characters later, but the kind of real ramification of this scene, and I think it's a big moment in Spider-Dumb is the moment when your loved one figures out that you're the one behind the mask. How did you, how did you think right. this, this film handled that between Captain Stacy and Gwen? I thought it handled it really well because you've got to make a decision then it's dad. Mm-hmm. Everything that Spider-Man, Peter Parker Spider-Man, wanted to protect Aunt May from, this movie addresses headlong in the first opening bit of this of the story. Dad, I'm the one you've been looking for. What are you going to do about it? And he's going to bring her to justice. Which only furthers what happens in the Spider-Man mythos. Because Peter, Peter, <laughs> Peter, Peter keeping his identity a secret to protect his loved ones isolates him. Mm-hmm. What if you revealing your identity to your most loved one does the exact same thing, Jesse? Yeah. Maybe it's even worse. Mm-hmm. Rejection. I mean, I could keep it a secret from from Aunt May and Uncle Ben and and Mary Jane and whomever I Betty Brandt and Gwen or whoever I might need to keep it from to keep them safe, and then I just have a secret. But I don't have a secret and now it's even worse because I have exposed this vulnerable piece of myself and he's going to take me down for it. Yeah. Doesn't understand. And you, too, I just want to bring up real quick. Mm-hmm. We'll get back to this. I want to, you, you know, you talked about the vulture. Yeah. The two main baddies, three that we've seen in Miles's spider dome. Yeah. To this point are the prowler the spot and the vulture. Yeah. 
you have to do something that's really tricky with Miles Morales well, to make people care about them. Don't forget gigantic kingpin. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, right. Sorry, kingpin. Yeah. Okay. You have to find a way mm-hmm. to create a rogue gallery from what, in comicdom, is the first or second best rogue gallery yeah. in all of comicdom. Batman, mm-hmm. Spider-Man are number one, number two. Yeah. The X-Men are probably number three. And then everyone else is just hoping to be in, in the conversation. <laughs> Iron Man, is, I might argue the Flash is number four, but Iron Man's over there like, can I have two of those guys, please? Just, can I have two of them? Can I have, can, please, sir, can I have one? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The spot has been introduced. Like, I have a couple comments that have the spot in there. Yeah, wasn't He's the, laughably bad. He was, sucks. Wasn't he introducing, like, Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man? Yes. Yeah. Yes. He's a joke. Yeah. And he kind of is a little bit in this too, but he's also not. By the time he's done, very formidable. Yeah, I think. The Vulture. The Vulture. We all know the Vulture. He's kind of laughably stupid versus Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. That Vulture was so OP, it took three Spider-Men to take him down. Yeah. So they do a really good job. Now the Kingpin's established as a big bad, and that that's a legitimate threat. So let's let's give some credit there. Yeah. But with the Vulture, the Spot, and the Prowler, <laughs> you're taking D cast characters. Oh yeah. And making them relevant, and that's really good writing because I see the Spot on there, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, really the Spot? And by the time that was done, I'm like, man, that Spot, look out! And if you think about it, <laughs> yeah, that's. And the way spot, they did look it, out. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's pretty good. Yeah, no, like when he's first introduced, it's kind of kind of the next scene uh, here. We'll wrap up with uh, Gwen here first, though. Yeah, he's yeah, kind yeah. of treated as a joke in the convenience store. I mean, he can't even like effectively rob this convenience store. I mean, he's got bread coming out of his stomach. I mean, it's kind of a mess. Yeah. Uh, and then as the film progresses, you kind of realize what he's going to be able to wield. It's like, yo, yikes. <laughs> like, it's. Yep. This yep. guy is uh, pretty powerful, so uh, can bring about a lot of destruction. Yeah, I, I liked how that kind of turned on its head, and I, I think that yeah, the same goes for the Vulture, and then yeah, the Prowler. I, I really like what they're doing with the Prowler in in, in this universe. Uh, I never know what that could have looked like, uh, in, whether on film or in animation form, and I think that's an interesting villain that's... The, maybe the, is it that got to be the closest villain to like a spider character? Your uncle, right? Yeah, yeah. Like even yeah. you know Norman's, you know your best friend's father. That's a little bit more removed than actual your bloodline. Like I, I really mm-hmm. like what they're doing with that character too. But kind of the ramification of this scene is, yeah, Dad rejects Gwen. He's still gonna turn her in, and she's like, Dad, like seriously, you're gonna do that? And she's accepted this kind of invitation into the spider society of yeah, come with us, come into the multiverse and we could use your, your, uh, assets, uh, your strengths. Um, but you got to say goodbye to this world. And she does. She's like, yeah, what if I'm going to get arrested? You know, why am I sticking around here? Very teenager angsty, uh, handled really well. Mm-hmm. So let's catch up I have with a question for go, you about go, that. Go ahead. Go ahead. We're, we're, we're going to find out later that Gwen through her involvement in Spider HQ, is far more knowledgeable about the inner machinations or canon. And I love the fact that they call what he destroys canon because we have a whole discussion about that later. Yeah, the, Just the, the genius of that choice 
of words for butterfly effect is so smart, but mm-hmm. okay. Because she knows what's happening with the canon and the multiverse. Is her leaving her father and choosing not to go back to keep him alive? Possibly. To keep her from knowing I think it, I he's think, ultimately going to die because there's a whole bit on that too. I think it inadvertently keeps him alive because I think him her yeah. leaving leaves a void that where he just, when they reunite later, he's like, well, I've quit the police force. And so I think that's when she kind of discovers that there's kind of an organic way to change the canon where without, you know, it's kind of done through action and uh, it's done through emotion and not necessarily through like intervention. Uh, So I think, yeah, I think she inadvertently saves his life and changes the the course of that relationship. I'm uh, toasting you from the other part of the continent now because we're, we're saluting that really terrific subtextual design Mm -hmm. in the writing of this story. Yeah. That's how you create depth and layers because here's the question that I've been dying to ask you since we finished this film the other day. Okay. As someone who is very, very in tune with the Batman world. Yeah. Do you find the 15 different Robins, the Birds of Prey, Jean Valjean, Oracle—I'm sorry, Azriel. Yeah. Do you find all of the extended Batman world to be so exhausting? It's almost throw your hands up in disgust, and I don't want any more of it. I think I think it can be. I think and how it's tackled uh, to kind of give you an example. How deep can you go in characters with an actual interest level? I would imagine probably Nightwing, but after Nightwing, how much further can you go? You know what, you know what, actually what property handles it? I think the best that I've seen is actually those Arkham, uh, asylum games. Yeah. Like they get pretty bat family heavy. I mean, I think, yeah. Uh, you know, Oracle and Nightwing and Tim Drake and Jason Todd. And I don't think Damian Wayne has really made an appearance there, but they get pretty deep with, you know, the, the roster lineup of the bat fam, uh, yeah. and yeah, the, the way they handle it, I think is, is just right. Uh, it's, it's palatable and it's done in an interesting way. And I think that's the, the word is interesting, uh, and maybe not overwhelming, uh, and story driven. Uh, I think so, the same thing could befall, you know, what's happening here. Uh, but they're, yeah, they're, right. cho- they're choosing to go through their introduction is character moments. And I know you and I yeah. really like that and appreciate that versus just throwing every everything in the kitchen sink at there and then like we're trying to like weed through the mess to figure out what the hell's going on. Those two characters, Batman and Spider-Man, are both so successful that it was inevitable that they were going to try to expand their families, if you will, mm-hmm. because that just is more slightly or similarly related characters that you can feed the monetary pipeline. This is part of the, the functional economics of comicdom. Mm-hmm. You have to keep a new title coming out week after week after week. Otherwise, subscriptions go south and there's no money coming in the door, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can water a concept down so much that it just becomes water and there's nothing left of any volume to it. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes feel like when I've had periods in my life where I've gotten into Batman, yeah, that it's really a large endeavor because to get the full totality of story through reading, you're reading like seven titles. Oh yeah. That, that, that part's a mess. That's that's a part's a total disaster. (laughs) 
So, but there have been times though when it's good. So I can probably like, I'll like, you know, there's, there's four different continuity Batman titles. Mm-hmm. And then there's Teen Titans. Yeah. And then there's Nightwing and then there's Robin mm-hmm. and then there's Birds of Prey. And as you start moving down, we're getting into the Huntress and some of that. Mm-hmm. Batman's appearance in there is necessary to round out the story from whatever large crossover event you may be partaking in. Mm-hmm. But it becomes a bit frustrating and it gets to the point where it gets so watered down. It's kind of, at least for me, I throw my hands up and just say, I'm out. Yeah. My worry with this, with this being Spider-Man, yeah. is if Spider-Man is Batman, then Miles is Nightwing. Fair? Mm-hmm. Spider-Gwen is Batgirl. Yeah. Fair? Yeah. And after that, how much further am I going to go? Mm-hmm. Spider-Man 2099 is the comic that was out. I couldn't stand it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and my worry, so the point I'm getting to in all this is as a Batman fan, it sounds like to me what you're saying is as long as those characters have some relevance into whatever story is being told other than just kind of a shameless money grab, yeah. you'll give it a go. That was my worry about this. Can you make me care mm-hmm. about Spider-Woman on a motorcycle. Yeah. Can you make me care about Spider-Man 2099? Cause I've never really liked that character. Mm-hmm. Can you? And, and that's a big formidable task because it also plays in another dangerous territory. Mm-hmm. And that's for all of the King dynasty criticisms that maybe we've levied with how many of them are there and who leads all of them. Because now we just have a mess. And if you kill 50, it doesn't matter because, there's still 250 Kangs right around the corner. I know. Yeah. You're tiptoeing on a slippery slope a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think uh, we'll kind of get into it a little bit later, but you know, I think a lot of this also works because it's animated and then we can kind of play a little more fast and loose with it. If this was live action, it, well, I think you and I might have maybe a different tune to sing. And maybe I just would prefer the Miles Morales live action story versus Spider Punk and Ben Riley and all these other guys. But the way that God, they I love that they put Ben Riley in this, I love, and they played him I, the way they did. Oh, God, the, the way it. they the way they dig it, Ben, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. I can't. We'll talk mm-hmm. about it when we get to it. Andy Samberg playing him mm-hmm. too. Love it. Uh, yeah, it's it 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 can get pretty messy. Uh, but yeah, let's let's kind of pick up with Miles. Uh, it's been about eighteen months since the particle collider incident uh and yeah he's the friendly neighborhood spider-man here in earth uh i have it written down 1610 uh yep. adapting to life missing gwen uh you know obviously dude, he's, he's he's got a drawing of her on every you know picture of his journal or whatever the heck <laughs> yeah and you know he's doing okay in school struggling uh i kind of like that little line he's got a, some sort of parent teacher conference and he's got a b and a b in spanish and that's you know really troublesome for his you know hispanic mother right uh, yeah. and so he's late to the conference and i think this was they played a little bit of this in the last film and then more so in this one which was he's what 16 17 they know yeah. he's going through stuff, but he won't communicate that with him. He's lying. He they're having a real hard time, kind of like having this open communication with him. They're they're he's at at that age where they're hard to understand. We were both at that age, Matt. You know, we gave our parents hell. 
and I really like that. So you're trying to balance being the Spider-Man, and he, I think he's got some real pleasure of, you know, being Spider-Man. I think he's really enjoying it. Uh, and I think what's interesting about Miles's story is that he hasn't had, other than Uncle Aaron, but he hasn't quite had his Uncle Ben moment yet, right? Yeah. It's, we're, yeah. St- we're still kind of waiting for that that shoe to drop. So there is a bit of hubris on his part, and I really like that. I really like that his journey is very drastically different than Peter Parker's, and also his parents, uh, Rio and Jefferson, for the most part, up until this point, are still very integral in his life and life-giving advice. Uh there's a scene, there's a dialogue scene that him and his mom have here on the roof, uh, which was really heartwarming and really poignant about just, you know, whatever you do out. And I have some audio, I'll play it here in a second, but I was like, I don't know if we've ever had an Aunt May scene like this before. Yeah. So yeah. I think that the, the parent parental figures are a, a little bit more uh, active, active participants in, in the story and how it's going to unfold. I, I, I really appreciated that because we're not just doing the Peter Parker thing, right? This is Miles's story. Right. Uh, what, and what do you think about all that, too? I mean, you know, Miles has really kind of taken a leap, I think, here in the last few years, you know, helped by the first film, his emergence in the comics, uh, his own video game, which was awesome, everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, he's really kind of, you know, and I think this is just the strength of the Spider-Man label that there is ground to tell multiple stories in this world that aren't just, oh, Uncle Ben got shot and killed again. Because uh, we know how well that can play out. We've seen the Raimi films. We've seen Tom Holland's Spider-Man. Uh, some of the Andrew Garfields. We've seen how well that can be told. I'm just really refreshed that we're kind of taking the same... Uh, how can I describe this? The same skeletal structure. And we're kind of giving it... Uh, New skin, new hair. We're kind of doing like a, 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 it's like a new, a new body, right? Yeah, that's that's why I brought up the the Batman question for mm-hmm. you. The Batman guy, I think, on its surface, looks the, the Batman universe on its surface is a little easier for me to buy because all of these post Batman sidekicks going out on their own are all another version of his coaching tree. Yeah, right. Like they they learned at his side, so. I buy that Nightwing can do that because he learned from the best. Mm-hmm. The Spider Universe extended is a bit different, yeah, because he doesn't have sidekick that he would purposely have a radioactive spider bite, <clears throat> and so you've got to get me to see past the <laughs> ridiculous sensation of it happening again to create not one, not two, not 10, mm-hmm. but 75,000 of them. Yeah. The multiverse does that. And it does that without having to worry too much about how you got there because there's just different Spider-Man in different worlds and different dimensions that look different. Okay. So that's problem solved. But to take, so before that happened, though, miles was introduced before any of that multiverse stuff really became something that, I mean, they, they had introduced it, mm-hmm. but miles was introduced in Peter Parker's world. Yeah. Okay. Is he some sick, fan, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and it played well. 
Yeah. And I thought, well, they caught lightning in a bottle with this one. Mm-hmm. And good, but let's hope that it doesn't get too popular because too much more of this and it's going to be eye roll worthy and, oh, come on already, just create a new superhero. Don't just repurpose the same one. Yeah. Here's what helps with Miles. Mm-hmm. He's young. Yeah. So you get to build a history with him that's been around for over 50 years with Spider-Man. Spider-Man's, I mean, he's young comic-wise, like he's young on the pages. But he's not young story-wise anymore, Jesse. Yeah, his, uh, I'm just looking it up right now, his first appearance was in 2011, uh, Brian Michael Bendis, creator. Of course. Yeah. So, you know, 12 years. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of story left to be told there. And so what started off for me as maybe a little gimmicky at a place for new Spider-Man readers to get on because jumping into Spider-Man at this point is, holy crap, let me read these 15 compilations so I even know what the hell is going on and who's this guy and why is there 17 hobgoblins and who even is the hobgoblin, blah, 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 all that crap, right? Yeah. You get on with Miles at a really fresh place with someone who's familiar enough to help it, which would be Spider-Man, and then you give him, let's be honest, a really great-looking look. He, his uniform, his, his suit's killer. Mm-hmm. Not too far from what the original looks like, but far enough so that there's definitely a difference. And you give him a whole, whole new set of problems and characters and adventures that you can create a brand new legacy with and where necessary yeah. involves Spider-Man in it. And that allows you some access to those characters to be introduced to him as well. Like, that's a really long answer to, I really like it, Jesse. Yeah. Yeah, and then, yeah, introducing the spot, which we're about to find out is uh, he was created in the Alchemex Collider incident. Uh, So kind of created by Miles' own uh, saving, right? I mean, trying to stop that incident, he kind of created this guy. So hero thus creating the villain. That sounds very Batman to me, right? Yes, sir. And then we also discovered, too, that the spider that bit Miles actually came through this same uh, multiverse collider from Earth-42. So it wasn't even of this Earth. It came from some other place and then just happened to bite you. And then we're going to find out later that has a whole sway of consequences, right? It kind of makes Miles an anomaly uh, among Spider-Men. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, Jefferson's getting a promotion. They're having a party for him. Miles is late because, uh, you know, he's just, you know, day late and a dollar short. You know, he's trying to stop all these crimes. Uh, I really love this bit here. It reminded me in the Spider-Man 2 uh, movie video game, there was like these like pizza delivery levels. And if you like did too many flips in the air when you were delivering pizza, you would like screw up all the pizzas and you would have to <laughs> you would have to start over again. So when Miles is doing all this swinging with these two cakes for his dad's party, uh, I was like, oh, my God, when he opens these cakes up, it's going to be a mess. And just he opens the cakes up, and it's a disaster. So even this nice gesture <laughs> that he did, uh, it just looks really half-assed uh, to his parents. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, what do they do? They ground him. One, one, one two months, three months, and... Like a teenager, he just he kind of sulks away. He's misunderstood. I mean, and then his parents just they don't know the the right way to to get through to him. But mm-hmm. I, one person does, and she, here she comes. It's you know, here comes Gwen, and hey, do you want to you want to go swing around? You want you want to get out of here for a bit? And you know, I think this is pretty helpful to 
see a familiar face and kind of reconnect, but also kind of seeing, you know, just kind of how different and, and weird things are right now. Like things aren't quite the same uh, as their first adventure, right? Right, yeah. But they, they did had a uh, talk about, you know, that, that screenplay scene that I, I wrote you where Miles is rising, not falling. They do a really cool scene where they're, I don't know which building they're sitting on top of, but they're sitting upside down on it. And then they kind of, the camera or the artist panel pulls back and they're sitting upright and everything else is upside down. I was like, what in the inception? That's beautiful. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. I was like, I want that as like on like a canvas. Like that would look great. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But then, you know, so, so Gwen comes over to the party, you know, the parents meet and, you know, like typical moms, you know, she like tries to like insert a little bit too much. Gwen has to bail. She's getting a little uncomfortable, but then also she's got work to do that she can't tell Miles about that she's a part of this secret spider society. Uh, and then we get this really interesting scene. Um, It's in the trailer. Um, I'll, I'm going to play this here, but I think this is pretty powerful. I can hear you being quiet, Mom. I, um, hope I didn't ice your game, man. No one my age says those words in that order. <laughs> it's just hard to see my little man not being my little boy all the time. Yeah. For years, I've been taking care of this little boy. Making sure he is loved. That he feels like he belongs wherever he wants to be. He wants to go out into the world and do great big things. Not bad, kid. And what I worry about most... I love you, Miles. ...is they won't look out for you like us. Miles! Want to get out of here? Wherever you go from here, you have to promise to take care of that little boy for me. Make sure he never forgets where he came from. And he never doubts that he is loved. And he never lets anyone tell him that he doesn't belong there. You gotta promise, Miles. I promise. Pretty pretty powerful stuff. I think that this is a scene where the <clears throat> the mother realizes her little baby boy has grown up. He's becoming a man now. And whatever yep. you go forth and do in this world, A, don't be a, a jerk about it. Don't be an asshole. Uh, watch out for yourself. Uh, don't let people push you around. Be a good person uh, and take care of that child that I helped raise that's still inside you. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's really great. It's, you know, the equivalent would be Aunt May kind of telling Peter that. And you know, they in the comics, I'm sure they had a very similar type of conversation, but... For me, this is the kind of the first time I'm ever, I'm ever seeing like the the maternal figure really kind of give this to the spider hero. I think yeah. this this is great stuff here, and then and we still have the dad component too, which is just as important. It's going to play out just in a, a, a little bit later in the film, but yeah, what do you think of all that? But we're about to get go, we're about to go into the Spider Verse, and this is kind of our parting line from the parents, right? Yeah, some words of uh, wisdom before you head off to whatever next portion of life is, 
is coming for everybody, not just Miles. What I liked about it is it took mom and turned her in from somewhere between annoying nag and comic relief Mm -hmm. to something of a character with a bit of depth. The thing she's saying there, obviously I'm not a mother, but seemed very germane to what a mother would probably think about or go through, yours and mine both, when you realize, like, man, he's not a little boy anymore. This is a man now, or going to be a man. Mm -hmm. And at some point, not to sound harsh, but he's going to replace me with someone else that gives him what I can't, like a female, right? Yeah. And she's tackling some pretty, pretty heady, deep, rough stuff here. Yeah. You're heading off. Don't be a good guy. Uh, Don't anybody break your heart. Like these final words of wisdom. And I love that it all revolves around Gwen. Mm -hmm. That's gotta be for moms. Mm-hmm. The number one fear for their son is, mm-hmm. God, what girl is he going to meet that's going to fuck him up? And, <laughs> yeah. and do you know why they know? Because and, they because they did it to someone. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Good or bad, hope, mm-hmm. mostly good, I hope. That's yeah. why we're here. Yeah. But they, they did it. Mm-hmm. They fucked up somebody's son. Yeah. I love it. It's really good stuff. Well, well written. Yeah. And I thought that character was going to be on like, God, mom. Okay. We get it. The Latina humor thing. Ha ha ha. Let's nope. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, bam, in that moment, I'm like, Oh wow. Hey, this is a little bit more serious. And this is a really important question. Yeah. I got to ask you this. Mm-hmm. Is this movie going to suffer in our summer ranking from word of mouth? Because what's going to get out is, yeah, that's not really a kid's movie. Spider-Man animated movie. Hell yeah. Take your six-year-old to it. I don't think a six-year-old is going to really like this film. I think the color palette is far too psychedelic for most of them. (laughs) Fair. Yes. And I think the themes, PG-13. Yeah. Are way more adult than that guy stole some money from the armored truck. Yeah, you got to get it back to the bank. Yeah, like, it's, no, it's not it's, the film. It's not that type of Spider-Man movie. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to pay attention to the numbers. I, you know, I think it's doing pretty well as it is. Uh, and yeah, if it's just a good movie and people are enjoying the ride and the journey, I think there's always time and place for moments like this. It just makes the the rest of the story that much that much better. And I don't want to let the cat out of the bag or spoiler. Uh, we're going to talk about canon events and what's destiny and what's fate, but these two are going to need each other a lot in the, in the near future. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's, it's almost like a harbinger of doom type of conversation. It's like, like mm. we, it's almost like we need to have this conversation before it's too late. Right. Yeah. So yeah, we have it. And then we're off to the races. You know, miles is following Gwen to the spots hideout where he, Meantime, he's been, you know, jumping to the different uh, multiverses and finding the different... He, he learns that he can kind of multiverse jump through his own spots. <laughs> yeah. And if he goes to the other universes and gets those Alchemex colliders, he can essentially use them to power up himself. So we're just kind of start thinking about that. This guy who had loaves of... Look out. Yeah, Wait th- a minute. That's, that's serious. Look out. Yeah, this guy that had loaves of bread going through him is suddenly a very formidable uh, presence that must be dealt with quickly, uh, according to the Spider Society. I, I gave the spot yeah. 
way more attention than I will have ever given the spot in my entire life. But you know what it really comes down to? Yeah. It's the power of transportation. Yeah. Everything that I wanted Nightcrawler or Kitty Pride to be that never got there, mm-hmm. they somehow figured out with the spot. And he looks ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. But it kind of plays into how tortured he is and why he'd want to get back at miles to begin with. Yeah. What, what a horrible, yeah. Like I think, yeah. What, what does that guy look like when he's not spotted? I mean, he, he looks, he looks horrifying, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think he's, he's been dealt a really shitty hand. Uh, and yeah, I think he's going to make miles pay dearly. I think what's turned into comic undertones is really gonna, I think come to a head, uh, as this thing keeps turning along. Uh, but they, they followed the spot to hang on. Let me get it over here. Earth 50101 here. So we're going from Manhattan to India and we're about to meet a Spider-Man that I have never heard of before. Pavitir Pavrakar. (laughs) I hope I, I hope I said that right. Uh, Right. Well, we're going to call him Indian Spider-Man and Oh my God, this guy's, this guy's hilarious. He's, he's, he's interesting. And then in the the crowded streets of New Delhi or whatever this is supposed to represent, it's crazy. I mean, this guy's been Spider-Manning here and he almost has like a weird, interesting kind of like Bruce Lee acrobatic style to his Spider-Manning. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I I thought that this was pretty interesting and yeah, we're just, the second we get there, I mean, the spots there, Gwen's falling, you know, we're trying to catch her and chase this guy trying to meet a new Spider-Man and like, what, what is his story and everything? Uh, it's just wild. And we're, we're just kind of having a lot of fun with it at this point. And then they introduce Hobie Brown, Spider-Punk. Uh, I was actually wearing my Spider-Punk. I think you gave it to me, Matt, actually. Uh, yeah. I was wearing it yesterday. Uh, and I think uh, when you gave it to me, you're like, Swear, but, uh, like you, I think you were like, I don't even know who this character is. <laughs> Well, man, we're about to learn who this guy is. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, Spider-Man? Disaffected, punk rocker, anti-establishment, anarchist, fighting for the necessity of justice. What? Okay, go. Yeah. Yeah. And done in his art, I think, is maybe the most interesting of the entire film, which is it goes from color to like kind of like a sepia. Yep. And yeah, he's voiced by Daniel Kaluuya uh, from Get Out, uh, Black Panther. Uh, really interesting character here. London's uh, again neo punk Spider Man. Uh, yeah, like, what, yep. what, what are we talking about? We got we got Spider Punk. We got Pavitir Pavraker. What is this film becoming? But man, I think we're still having a good time watching it. I mean, this is wild stuff here. They've done a good job of creating a team with very, very different characters. I mean, none of these Spider-Men, even though they're all Spider-Men, are remotely like the other ones. Mm-hmm. And that's saying something because you might fall into this trap, which is, boy, I sure wish Spider-Man, like Peter Parker, yeah. would show up. And I didn't find myself saying that one time at all. I was, wow. oh my gosh, who's this one? And, okay, that one's a little bit out there, but I guess I'll give it a go and... With the exception of the one on the motorcycle, that Spider-Woman, which I thought that character was completely lame. Mm-hmm. Um, they were all really, really great. Yeah. And then you are going to get get Peter Parker too. But look, we've talked about this before, right? And yeah. if you create a team, mm-hmm. you have to have diverse characters in the team that each come with a skill set yeah. that makes them unique and as important to the success of the team as all the other players. 
Jesse, yeah. how do you do that if they're all fucking Spider-Man? I know, right? Because I mean, you know what they're kind of going to look like. Yeah. The, and the, they, have, they're all going to shoot webs. They're all going right? to stick to walls. Wall. Yeah, they're all going to do the yeah. same thing, but yet they all kind of stick out in their own unique way, whether that's done through animation or you're right, and that, that's also skill set. Which speaks to, like, the humanism of this film. I've always said that Spider-Man is relatable because he's the most humanistic of any superhero. You could argue Batman, and I probably would not argue with your argument. Mm-hmm. I probably would see it that way, too. But Spider-Man's just kind of a guy with yeah. bad luck and bad hair days, and trouble with his girlfriend, and there's nothing intergalactic. Like, he's very relatable. He's got his homework due, and his aunt may may not like his girlfriend, his girlfriend's yelling at him because he forgot. Like, he's like normal shit. Yeah. If you take the same principle, as wild as all of these various Spider-Men are, Jesse, yeah. they're humanists and because they all look like Spider-Men, kind of like the way we all look like humans, mm-hmm. but we all have a different skill set. Yeah. You're devastatingly handsome. That's yep. your skill set. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, people walk in, you walk in the room, Jesse, and the fish stops swimming. That's how beautiful you are. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Nice. <laughs> Let's get it, yeah. group, right? Hey, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But the, the point being is they've done that with, they, they're all going to have a mask. Mm-hmm. It's all going to be some, may not blue and red, but some red and they all have red and, the, and they're all going to shoot webs like the same way we all walk yeah. and breathe and eat. So then what do you do with the character yeah. that makes me, and, and that's for as much as I was really out on, man, I don't know about spider punk. Jesse, here's the shirt. Keep it. I don't even know who the hell this character is. Yeah really well designed mm-hmm. to take the limit of these Spider-Man because you could make them be anything. You could give one guy eight legs and you could give this guy this crazy cape and they could, no, yep. they didn't. They just made them different yeah. on the interpersonal shit. And mm-hmm. then to them, cheers. Yeah. Good job. Bill Lord. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then, yeah, just the animation is still, it's also kind of a, signifying them at the same time too. They all kind of look different. They all are animated a little bit differently. Like uh spider punk is almost kind of a little bit like, kind of like hand drawn animation and everyone else is maybe a little smoother and maybe has a different frame rate. I mean, they even kind of operate a little bit differently in how they are animated. Uh, you know what I can't wait. I'm glad you brought this up, but I can't wait to see yeah. it's going to happen this week. Yeah. I can't believe it's going to happen, but we're going to go see rise of the beast. Oh, transformers. Yeah. And we've talked about how that always just looks like a tumbling mass of steel yeah. that moves too quick and the camera's too close to really see. And you can't decipher, was that an eyeball? Was that an elbow? Was that a laser? Was that some <laughs> knee? Or did yeah, did yeah. his arms get cut off? You can't tell. Yeah. What you're saying is the antithesis of that. Mm-hmm. You have to design difference. Yeah. Yes, animation creates some differences that maybe metal on film doesn't. Okay, fair. Mm-hmm. But that goes back to what you said. You know how right you were when you said it earlier. Yeah. This movie succeeds because it's animated. Yeah. It allows you to have sepia, uh, Da Vinci-styled yeah. vulture. And have fun with it. I mean, just do... I mean, a little bit later in the spider headquarters... 
1966's Spider-Man's going to be swinging around through there. <laughs> I'm like, what? Like, yeah. we're getting, we're getting the, everyone in, in on this. Uh, but yep. I, what I was wondering, so I saw this in IMAX and I was, I was wondering, I was like, man, when are they going to really blow, like blow, blow up an action scene? Like I was, mm-hmm. it kind of starts out pretty slow and kind of builds up uh, really naturally. And then when the spot, this collider just explodes here in India, and man, this like skyscraper is about to like pummel this city, this bridge, this just about everything. And these four spider people go into action. Oh my God. I, I thought this looked incredible. Me too. They're like ascending through the city and they're working as a team and trying to web up. And like, you know, some of the Spider-Men are like trying to get people out of buses and the other are trying to web up the building, like yeah. actually working as a team together. Who would have thought, right? Uh, and it, visually, it's just, it's stunning. I think it's it's one of my favorite sequences of, of the whole film. And then this is where we kind of get to this moment where Gwen's like, no, we can't. She, she alludes to we can't go that way. We need to go help these people because we start talking about this canon event. And uh, the Captain okay. Stacy of the Indian Spider-Verse is about to die. And, you know, Pavatir Pavrakar uh, leaps in to save him and... We're about to find out that's going to be kind of a pretty big no-no that this was designed plan. This is needed to happen. And we kind of undid that plan uh, pretty wild. And once the spider society ascends uh, to assess the damage, I kind of like that they had like a team to kind of like, they're looking for like time anomalies, right? Yeah. yeah. And kind of seeing like what's been deplaced. I, I thought that was pretty cool, but. We want answers. We we want to know like what's going on. What's the bigger picture, Gwen? What's this team that you're a part of? I would like to be a part of it too. Uh, so here we go, Nueva York. Uh, okay, let me see if I got an Earth for you here. I don't think I do actually. Oh wait, yeah, Earth, no, Earth, Earth, no Earth nine two eight. Yeah, it's Nueva York. This is the world of Spider Man nine uh, twenty ninety nine. Uh, and what did you think of this? I think this is where they started having a lot of fun and what, having access to the Sony vaults of whatever. Mm-hmm. Walking the lobbies of the Spider-Verse, like, Matt, what jumped out at you? I mean, uh, take a couple, and then I'll take a couple that I thought were really a lot of fun. Tobey Maguire. Yeah. yeah so but- as, we're watching, as we're walking through the vault or the, uh, what would you call it, the... Command hub. center, the command center. Yeah, yeah. The hub, command center of all things, all Earth, and the simultaneous interaction of the big events that <laughs> this spider team is given the task of monitoring. Man, they go back to Tobey Maguire watching Cliff Robertson die. Mm-hmm. That's that's number one for me because everyone knows that that's my favorite Spider-Man. As yeah. much as I love Tom Holland, it's it's. Gen X, it's always going to be Tobey Maguire for me. Yeah, me too. And then to take that in a movie that is really vibrantly colored with wild designs and artistry and just kind of sip it, just shift in some normal humans Mm -hmm. from a movie, which is a great callback. Yeah. Is very clever. And what I, that's one of them. That's the one that sticks out the most. The other one is, the Ben Riley introduction, which isn't really in this, but we'll get to that in a minute because we have to talk about Ben Riley. And I had to have a twenty-minute discussion with my daughter on who the hell Ben Riley was and why he's so hated. <laughs> yeah, why he's just like the pariah of the Spider Verse, right? <laughs> I said, "Honey, it's called the Clone Saga," and she's like, "Clone Saga? 
And I said, well, there was a time in the spider world where there were some questions that Peter Parker was original. And she's like, what do you mean original? Well, he might've been a clone from another guy. And she went, what? Mm-hmm. Peter Parker wasn't the real Spider-Man. I'm like, that's exactly how most of Marvel them acted, Ava. Yeah. So they had to figure out what to do with this Ben Riley. Anyway, so we, we went off on a tangent, but yeah, Tobey Maguire, number one for me. Which one did you like the most? Yeah, I, yeah, I got to echo. The Ben Riley stuff was awesome because he's just so mopey and pathetic. Uh, but Oh, yeah. Uh, the one that I really liked, and I thought this was a pretty deep callback, and when I went and thought back about it, I was like, oh, okay, that's something they could maybe play around with in the future. Mm-hmm. They have Donald Glover live action in a Prowler yeah. outfit, and yeah. if everyone will remember the first Spider-Man Homecoming, there's a scene with Tom Holland Spider-Man in a parking garage with uh, Donald Glover, and he drops a line in there. He's like, hey, I got a nephew that I, I need to look out for. Miles Morales, right? No. Yeah. Wow, I didn't even pick up on that. So in the MCU Tom holland verse, Donald Glover is the Uncle Aaron, the prowler of that universe, prowler. which is something they could definitely lean into if they wanted to. That's awesome. Yeah. I thought I thought that one was really cool. Uh, you had Gunslinger there. I thought that was really funny. Yeah. Uh, with his horse. Uh, but yeah, I think being able to do live action and animation, and then I think that one of the coolest things, and this happened a little bit later, there's kind of a little Lego segment. Yeah. Uh, and man, I don't know if you if you did any kind of digging, but I did find this out, which was uh, so that there was a Lego universe in the film. This was actually done by a 14-year-old Canadian animator, Preston Mutanga. And he actually, on YouTube, uh, did a Lego recreation of the first film's trailer of the Across the Spider-Verse. And the producers were like, holy crap, like, call that kid. They called him, and he he animated those Lego sequences in this film. Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool, right? Good good find, dude. Look at you, deep dive. That's good. Yeah. And then I guess the other thing that I really appreciated, which was it don't matter which multiverse universe you're coming from, I guess J.K. Simmons is just Jameson in all of them, right? (laughs) <laughs> everywhere he's 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 jameson in the lego verse he's jameson in the animated world and you know what yep. i'm okay with it because you can't find better people that's true yeah he's put on this earth to play uh jk simmons has been put on this earth to play J. Jonah jameson in a terrible terrible band instructor there you go there you go yeah uh yeah. Okay, so let's let's jump to the what was alluded to in the teaser scene at the end of the first Spider-Man film, which was Spider-Man 2099, Miguel O'Hara. Here mm-hmm. he's voiced by Oscar Isaac. I also found out Oscar Isaac is now the first person to play three Marvel characters, uh, Apocalypse, Moon Knight, and Miguel O'Hara now. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the Dave Grohl of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, that, that man, they really botched Apocalypse, man. That should have been Ooh. a lot better than it, it ended up being. Yes. Uh, but let's, let's kind of, let's, let's get to him, uh, and kind of his introduction to this world, kind of what he's doing and let's, let's, you wanted to talk about it, man. Talk about the canon events and why that word specifically. You have to sort of look at what canon means, right? So canon is an established history that's part of what is the accepted story that we consider the history of the character. Yeah. 
a lot of this is Star Wars related, and that's I was we ju- love this game, and I, is I, it going to be canon? And was, how I, do we work it? Yeah, I was just going to say I think I probably learned about it through Star Wars nerddom, which was all those books and yeah. video games are just like, well, is it canon or not? Well, I guess it's not canon, and so it, it doesn't matter to the general Skywalker story, right? Which you can see why they don't want to have too much of that because then it's just too much to keep up with. Yeah. But the truth is as that series moved through all the iterations that it did, some of the books and video games were better than the, the proper Canon that was being. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Released, you know, over and over and over again. So Mm -hmm. the fact that Canon is the acceptance of all spider pieces and used in a way that if it's destroyed and broken, then you break the timeline. Then I think it's a really interesting use word canon as a substitute for butterfly effect. Mm-hmm. And Marvel has really struggled with this. Yeah. Not only the butterfly and the effect of butterfly, the effect of, um, things that you do in or out of timeline and what effects it has. But well, what does it mean for all of the other pieces? Well, the butterfly effect in the MCU, essentially Tilda Swinton told the Hulk on the roof and end game. It, it, it matters, but it doesn't matter. Uh, right. Captain America could go have another life with another human. We can get a Gamora yep. from another timeline. It really doesn't matter. And I really like that this film says, no, it does matter. Miguel tells this really great sob story of the universe he lived in his daughter died and so or no he died right yeah he died yeah yeah he died orphaned his her daughter so he tried to you know go into another universe so he could be a parent to be a father and that whole universe collapsed in on itself so something as simple as that right yeah so the breaking of any of these important historic events or events as he knows they're supposed to occur history or Mm -hmm. canon causes these large scale rifts in the structure of this multiverse. Yeah. And you get, frankly, Miles Morales. Yeah. He's he's an example of broken canon. Yeah. Special. Mm-hmm. Outside the norm. Bitten by a spider from another world, so that world is left without a Spider Man, and his has two possibly. Mm-hmm. So that creates an imbalance. Oh yeah, and then he also left. He, has, he left Earth, Earth forty two without a Spider Man, right? The spider that came, right, came yeah. to bite him. Yeah, right. So that one has nothing, and we see what happens because the prowlers just run amok there, which is well, I won't get too much of, get yeah. too much away. Here. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. But that that's called canon and not history or uh, sequence, but called canon allows all of those pieces from Tobey Maguire mm-hmm. to comic books, Ben Riley mm-hmm. to the 1970s. Here comes a Spider-Man, Spider-Man and his amazing friends, that cartoon image was like swinging, swinging yeah. into the television screen on Saturday morning. Yeah. All to be a possible player in the spider world. And that is so clever Yeah, because even if you get Ben Riley has, I guess a significant, semi role in this, whether it's comedic or otherwise mm-hmm. that they challenged and revisited that terrible piece of the history. So they could kind of like just crap on it again. <laughs> it's really what they did. Just <laughs> yeah. one more time, say 
Jerry Conway, who came up with the Scarlet Spider, who's also the guy that wrote The Death of Gwen Stacy, by the way. Jerry Conway yeah. is maybe the most famous for the most popular and most hated event in all of Spider-Man. I get, but, Spider-Man's history. The Ben Riley stuff is, is garbage. I think his garbage. costume is awesome. It is awesome. Yeah. And I love that style of 80s art. Like, I love mm-hmm. that ultra crazy, Elongated. wild, buffed out look. Oh, my God. Everybody's got muscles that don't even exist in the human human frame. Yeah, very but, very Todd McFarlane-like, right? Very Todd McFarlane is exactly right. Yeah. So, um, Rob Lee Field, all those guys. What, uh, what, I, what I appreciated, too, is I just, I like that there's consequence. I just, I, I hate when we play fast and loose yes. with time and multiverse and whatever the hell. We're going to revisit this in... Was this next week? Yeah, next week with the Flash, right? Mm-hmm. And whatever is going to be going on in there, but you know, in Spider Man No Way Home, I mean, the, 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 there was these conversations about you know, you know, if you screw up stuff here, it's going to screw up stuff there, and you can't yeah. fiddle around too much with what's been done. You can't undo what's been done. And Miles has a real predicament here when we're illuminated to the fact of all the Captain Stacy's or police chiefs in Spider Man's life that have met an untimely end while miles is like, well, shit, my dad's about to be promoted in two days. He's about to be yep. this authority figure, uh, in, in, in Brooklyn here. I got to do something about it. And Miguel's like, you're what? No, you're not. And then this kind of starts this crazy sequence of this film, which is yep. the spider variants, all of them trying to stop miles from altering the fabric of space time. Pretty interesting uh, midpoint, right? Or midpoint uh, reversal yeah. recognition? Mm-hmm. Where, where are we at here? Second act reversal, maybe, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love, too, that it hinges on the sound that you played in the opening, which is, yeah. I'm tired of everybody telling me how my story's supposed to go. I'm going to tell my own goddamn story. Yeah. And this is that moment. Like, everybody's saying, you're just going to have to live with it. This is just the way it's going to be. Says you, mm-hmm. it's my dad. Yeah. What if it doesn't go that way? Yeah. Then what? Yeah. Then what? Mm-hmm. And, and that's bravery, Jesse. Yeah, like you're and, you're fucking with the fabric of of continuity or yeah, whatever you yeah. want to call it, but for the right reason, man. And that's yeah. hero, that's heroism for me. Yeah. That's what a hero is. Yeah, and I think from Miles' perspective, if he doesn't do anything, what does that say about him? Right? He has to do something. Uh, he has conformity. to. He yeah. has to at least try. Uh, no yeah. matter no yeah. matter what the rules of space time do, and you know what, put everyone, put yourself in his shoes. Don't tell me you wouldn't do the same thing for your father. I hope you would. Yeah, yeah. I'll break. Yeah. I'll break space time continuum for my dad. Yeah, let's go. And sure. uh, yeah, I think uh, he he gets a little ally here in in Hobie Spider Punk, who says, "Nah, man, mm-hmm. I, I'm out. I'm out. I, this ain't my gig. I'm anti. I'm anarchy, man." <laughs> Mm-hmm. throws yeah. like his little watch thing and it, it's kind of like enough of a distraction and kind of opens up that little shield thing they have him in and miles just bursts out of it. Yeah. And we get this really great sequence of all the Spider-Man you could think of cartoon comic variation, Spider-Man gunslinger. They're all chasing after him here in this atrium and then out into the cityscape and then on the subway and then on some ship that's going to the moon or whatever the hell, like, (laughs) like we're getting, we're going nuts with this thing and we're keeping it human. We're keeping it character driven. We're talking consequence on every, I love that Peter B. Parker has his little, has his little May day, his little girl with him in this little sack. And, you know, he's trying to, he's trying to Spider-Man, you know, while being a dad here. And 
visually it's stunning it's exciting it's intense but yeah what what did you think of all that you know it's like Matt as like a little boy would you ever imagine all you to get to see so many spider-man on the screen at one time oh my god no <laughs> you were lucky and the one that you, I you liked were, wasn't even my you, favorite one wasn't even in a costume he was carrying a kid yeah you were lucky if you even got growing up even like one spider-man on the screen and it was before they either canceled them on the silver screen or if <laughs> yeah. or or if they uh they just could never get the movie made right <laughs> Saturday mornings Spider-Man and his amazing friends or weekday afternoons for 30 minutes. Yeah, that, uh, that, that was, that was your, out here comes the Spider-Man television show. That was your best bet. Cartoon. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. No, the, but to take it, to take it to this level and all those guys are chasing him poses a really important question in that is our bad guy in this film, Miguel O'Hara. I think possibly. Yeah. At least this, I mean, this film, right? Okay, and if the answer is yes, which mm-hmm. I think it is yes too, at least partially, they've given him good motivation for doing it because he's seen what happens when you break canon, mm-hmm. and it cost him his life and his family their life with their father. Yeah, It's really interesting, though, that that's exactly what Miguel, I'm sorry, Miles Morales, is trying to sort of prevent on the other way. Like, mm-hmm. they're, they're working the same side of the street with a slightly different product. Yeah. The parallelism in this film is so well-crafted. You know why? Because for as outlandish and crazy as this is, and multi-dimensions and different sepia-toned vultures and the spot popping in and out, Mm -hmm. the premise is really simple, Jesse. Oh, yeah. Family, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's really, yeah. it's family. The sanctity of family, yeah. Whether it's yeah, yep. familia, it's all these relationships. Gwen and her father, Miguel and his family, yep. Miles and his parents. I mean, we're all around it right now. Peter B. Parker and his child daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like how they animate Miguel O'Hara too. I think all the other Spider Men, for the most part, you know, they kind of get this kind of comedic twinge to them or something kind of unique, but not him. I mean, that that guy is angry from the word go. Yeah, and all the way through the, the this whole film is, and I'm I'm interested to see what they do with that character. Uh, in spoiler alert, uh, in the next entry, we'll get there in a second, people. But mm-hmm. is that character gonna turn a corner? Is he gonna kind of stay really rigid and very old sagey, like really curmudgeony? I don't know, and I can go either way with what what that should look like, but. I really like how antagonistic he is here. I mean, he's a barrier to Miles and his and his plight. Yeah. So Miles is able to, in a really cool thing, he kind of leads them, all the Spider-Men, away from headquarters on this train to space or wherever the hell. And then he breaks off from it, ascends back to the cityscape, uh, really clever, uh, and, and a nice move by Miles there. And so he gets down to the thing, and he's like, okay, I got to get back to Earth, the, the Earth that I... Um, uh, that I came from. Uh, so spider bite, <laughs> this, this AI, uh, uh, per a uh, hologram Spider-Man returns mm-hmm. to his home dimension. Now is this where I got a little, a little confused. Uh, did she send him based on his DNA where she thought he needed to go? Right. Yes. Yeah. Which is earth 42. Yeah. And That's so, not his home world, though, right? Yeah, and so this okay. So we're getting we're going to get to a great reveal here in this film. You know, if you didn't haven't seen it yet, stop, go watch, come back, and and pick up where you left off. 
because he's going to go to this this earth here and he's going to go and here's rainy i, I loved how blade runner this 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 version mm-hmm. looks too it's all green mm-hmm. forest green and red neon and he goes to his house and we got to have a big moment here this is a big moment in spider-man canon which was i got to tell a loved one that i'm this person and I love how it's parallel because Gwen's doing the same thing on her side. She's been ostracized from the spider society. She comes home uh, and dad doesn't greet her with a gun in the face, but rather, you know, a badge on the table or whatever the hell. And they reconcile. We'll get back to Miles here and say, we got to talk about this Gwen scene. They reconcile in a very organic and germane way that I would imagine a teenage daughter and a father would do. And if you pay attention to the background uh, with the father, the Mm -hmm. waves of emotions he's going through is kind of done through the color palette, cold and blue and then warm and pink. And then finally when they, when Uh they embrace it's, it's, it's bright again instead of dour and cold, like relate relationship fix. And I thought that was, you can only do that with animation. I don't know how you would even think of doing something like that in live action. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. And what was what was his kind of you know his turn? Uh, I don't know how long she's been gone in Earth, whatever time. Uh, Gwen, I I quit the police force. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that anymore. And so she kind of realizes, oh wow, I kind of inadvertently kind of stopped that event from happening, right? Huge moment. Yeah. By not being there, she saved his life, which seems to fly in the face of all things Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. You're, you're the line of defense. Mm-hmm. Does that pose an interesting question, Jesse? One that Spider-Man 2 brought up, which is, is maybe Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man 2, Raimi's Spider-Man 2. Yeah. Is the world better off without me? Am I causing more problems than I'm worth? Like, yeah. Batman's gone through this a little bit before. Mm-hmm. Is there a Joker if there's no Batman? Yeah. Because the only reason this guy keeps showing up and causing all this havoc is because he's trying to outwit me. If yeah. I'm not here anymore... Yeah, there's Maybe no one to, goes away. There's no one to outwit, right? Right. Yeah, and if it's, a, I mean that's that's the question that's been played with here and there. But I mean, and it, Gwen is not doing that yet. But you can see it's a really fertile land that they've that they've laid here. God, maybe I just want to hang this shit up because me not being here saved my dad's life. Mm-hmm. Maybe the cops should just do their job, yeah. and I'll just do my job, mm-hmm. which is be a kid. <clears throat> Playing this band, yeah, yeah. There you go. It's simple, simple life. But then, but then, 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 then those words come back to to talk to you, right? With great power comes great responsibility. And if if you've been bestowed with this spider bite, you have to do something with it. You can't just sit on it. Uh, Yeah. So you know, Gwen tries to go and find Miles and kind of see what's going on. And they do this kind of great thing where Miles is like talking to his mom. She sh- he shows her this spider outfit, mom, I'm Spider-Man. And she laughs at him and was like, oh, mijo, like, uh, is that like your Comic-Con costume or whatever, whatever she says, like. Comic-Con, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she doesn't, she awesome. doesn't get it. Uh, and so he's like, huh, well, that's weird. And then his uncle comes in the door and we all got to be at this point going like, what's going on? Like what's happening here? He's dead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's dead. And then we smash cut to Gwen and she's like, Oh my God, like the spider that bit him, it sent him to the wrong universe. So he's actually in the universe where there is no Spider-Man. Right. And there is still a Miles Morales, right? Yep. So we're going to wrap things up here really quickly. Uh, 
uh, Miguel, Jessica Drew, Ben Riley, they go to Earth 1610, which is Miles' real world. And yeah, they're trying to hunt this, hunt him down. Uh, like, yeah, we can't have this time anomaly screwing things up for us. Meanwhile, the spot's about to lay havoc to the city. I don't even know what that's going to look like, but look out, everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Miles is having this conversation with his uncle. He sees this like painted monument for his dad up on the roof. And he's like, man, this is, I don't understand, but he's starting to put it together before he's knocked out. And then he's taken to some like abandoned factory apartment, whatever. And he comes face to face with himself, uh, of all people. Then it's not himself as just like, Oh, miles, you know, you know, living in the streets. It's, he's assumed the mantle of the prowler here in earth, uh, 42. So in Earth 42, the Prowler is the main dad, but there's a really interesting voiceover going on the radio in the background. Did you pick that up, pick up on that? Oh, go ahead. It's J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson talking about more evil perpetrated on Earth 42's whatever city that is okay. by the Sinister Six. Really? Yep. Man, it, I got to see this movie again because there's a lot of just I like... I think li- the same thing too, I know. Yeah, there's like a lot of little moments like that where like, yeah, there's so much going on. If you miss it, you miss like a callback or like a little moment that like means kind of a lot. Yep. Well, that's pretty wild, right? So the Prowler's wrecking havoc and so's the Sinister Six for the first time ever, right? <laughs> mm-hmm, right. <laughs> they're kind of, right. oh, we got to guess we got a Fabulous Five in No Way Home. That was pretty fun. But... Mm-hmm. uh yeah, okay, I didn't catch that. That that's awesome. Uh, a lot what, of stuff's out there, man. What There's been you, a lot of stuff out there. What did you think of that reveal? What did you think of the twist that he wasn't in his universe and kind of this twist of yeah, Miles is here, but yeah, he's he's kind of a bad urchin right now. In a good way, exhaustion. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my god, this he's he, we talked about this off mic. Yeah, you know, you're two ten into this film at this point. By the time he gets to forty two, and you realize like there's either going to be a really terrible, terrible ending to this film or um, I don't know what. And I didn't know this. You said you did, but I didn't know that this was first what was multiple parts. Yeah. Very comic booky fashion, never getting out of the second act, right? Mm-hmm. Almost in the second act. Yeah. Um, so two, I think this movie's 216. Mm-hmm. So 210, you're like, what the hell? Yeah, this thing ain't wrapping, shows up, not wrapping up anytime soon. Yeah. When the Prowler is revealed as this is your big bad, this is your Green Goblin, this is your Joker, this is your your arch nemesis, mm-hmm. and it's yourself, fuck, what do you do with that? Yeah. And then I love the way the Prowler puts whatever contraption he has on that's been given to him by his uncle. Mm-hmm. And you see him like kind of flexing and playing with the fingers and puts it right next to Miles' head, like, I'm going to blow this up, or I'm going to blow your head off, Mm -hmm. or whatever, and Miles is just begging, please, just let me go home. Yeah, Let me go, let me go, let me go. I won't give you any grief, let me go. And the guy was like, what in the world makes you think I would do that? Yeah. Meanwhile, Gwen's kind of like, I think she's realized what's happened here. He's in the wrong place. We need to go find him. I got to put a team together. So it's it's like, it's, it's a team of old friends and new faces, right? It's... Uh, Pavateer Pavrakar, it's Hobie, it's Spider-Bite, uh, Spider-Man Noir, Nicolas Cage comes back, Penny Parker, Spider-Ham, Peter B. Parker. Yep. I mean, we're getting the whole gang back together. 
because, you know, in a weird way, you know, to kind of echo what you said about this is about family. I mean, this is kind of a new, weird, interesting surrogate spider family that I never knew that I wanted, but I'm kind of glad that it's existing in this animated universe. Yeah. Yeah. In a, in a weird way. And like, like you said, even like when we talk about spider ham, I mean, John Mulaney, I mean, he's a pig. I mean, what the heck is that? Is Porky pig a Spider-Man? And then you got Sp- <laughs> Nicholas Cage's Spider-Man noir. How perfect is that? Uh, right. just like this dark brooding, like noir hero version of Spider-Man in a trench coat. Like that's, mm-hmm. he's different and has a different skill set, Right. Yep. Um, and yeah, they're about to go into some sort of portal. Miles about to get his head blown off and the spots about to wreak havoc on, uh, earth 1610 Brooklyn. Like you want to talk about a cliffhanger, not since the, I don't think we've had uh, as good a cliffhanger in a film since the snap in infinity. We're like, this is a a pretty terrific cliffhanger to leave audiences on. Okay. Fair. Yeah. And then, yeah, the, the film cuts to black to be continued. We'll see you all next year, everybody. See you in March. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. What a wild ride. Uh, it's been fun talking about And yeah, you just made me realize, yeah, I think I need to see this thing a second time to just really kind of digest everything because it, it is a, it's sensory overload, from a visual standpoint, but then as you're picking up little story nuggets, uh, yeah, I think you need to go back to the well a couple times on this one in a, in a good way. With as many pieces and as many characters as there are, it's worth it again. Just if nothing else, if you're like, who the hell is this Ben Riley guy? <laughs> Spend some time reading about Ben Riley and just go enjoy the laughs and the, and the, the, the cheap little shots they take at him on a really ridiculous character. Oh, that man. Yeah. His, way in, past his intro where he was just like crying on like that, like, like that like stone column. And he's like, <laughs> it was like, I was like, that, that was like, that's Ben Riley in a nutshell, how people think about yeah. him and how he, how he was all whiny in the comic books. Yep. Oh uh, yeah. That was Andy Samberg. Yeah. That's great vocal casting just kind of all around like names you wouldn't think would like fit these characters. I think th- they do them pretty well. I agree. So let's wrap this thing up. Uh, Matt, what was your favorite tasting note of Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse? Uh, probably all those Spider-Men chasing him through headquarters just because it was fun to try to sift through the different visuals and pick out ones that I recognized or yeah. the ones I didn't. So like, did that one have horns? Why did that one look like a bull? And like the, the hilarious one was the gunslinger with the mask on his horse. Too. Yeah. That was so stupid. Yeah. I loved it. Lone, Lone Ranger Spider-Man, right? Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. I think I'm going to pick that uh, saving the world or saving India from uh, destruction. I thought that was a great little action bit. The music was swelling in the way that I like it. They worked as a team. It was exciting. It visually was pretty stunning. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that one. Good one. What is the? Oh my God! Moment of across the Spider Verse. Ooh, um, you know, I think that scene where Gwen tells her father who she is. The first one, the first scene. Yeah. The, the first time, yeah. And he kind of gives her the, yeah, too damn bad, I don't care. I think I was like, Jesus Christ. Like, I found myself really sort of trying to measure out, like, what would I do? I mean, there's things that, we're all worried about our kids are going to tell us from time to time, right? They're mm-hmm. going to come home and tell me, dad, I got to get a speeding ticket or I got arrested or God forbid, who knows what. Yeah. And how do you respond to those? And like, she gives him 
her most secret thing. And he basically says, I don't care. It's got to be the swim. Damn. Yeah. That, that's, that's harsh. Yeah. It's harsh. Yeah. I think my, Oh my God is going to be the reveal when we, when we realize miles is not where he thought he went. Yeah. Cause even as an audience member, I kind of had to think a little bit. I was like, I was like, what the hell's going on here? And then like once Gwen says, it, I was like, Oh my God, like, of course he would be in the universe where the spider bit him. And that's, yeah, that's already been established that that's not his original universe. I was like, Oh man, what a conundrum. <laughs> right. Uh, who's the master, who's the master distiller on across the spider verse. Okay. This is going to be a bit of a surprise for you. Okay. I think it's Oscar Isaac. Okay. And I'm going to pose a question for you. Okay. Poe Dameron sucks. <laughs> is Oscar Isaac in those discussions we have about guys that should be in roles, villainy and perpetuity that aren't is Oscar Isaac better suited to be a villain than a hero because he's getting that from me today. Yeah. And I'm wondering, thinking about this and do sex mocking us specifically. Oh God. Yeah. Is he better as a villain? And I think my answer is yes. What I, do you think, think, I think he's pretty good. I mean, I think he's good as uh Duke Leto, Atreides in Dune, um, fairly hero- yeah. heroic role for, for the most part, but yeah, even as kind of the, the shady, ex or a uh, husband in drive that sets up that like failed mm-hmm. heist. He's pretty shady in that movie. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think I'm with you. I think when he has kind of a sinister tinge to him, I think he, he works a little bit better. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my man, great choice yeah, for you. Yeah, yeah, gr- no, great choice. Great choice. Uh, I'm going to go with the three directors, Joachim uh, DeSantos, Kent Powers and Justin K. Thomas. I don't know how you wrangle all of this together with the story, with the animation, with all these moving pieces and deliver a product that looks like this. It's just, that's, I can see why you would need three directors, but those guys had a lot on their plate and I think they delivered a a really successful product across the finish line. That art studio had to be in full effect in many different capacities, 24 seven and locations to produce that much art in yeah. a relatively short period of time. I think you had probably to- needed all three of those guys just to oversee like three different teams. Yeah. If not more. Yeah. Getting the vocal performances in, uh, getting the music in there and then, you know, making sure, okay, like I'm going to the Hobie, uh, spider punk art guys today seeing how that's coming along okay i'm going over to the the spider-man ben riley guys seeing how that's turning along it, it's just yep this is a big moving uh machinery i think it's uh it employed the most animators of any animated film ever and is the longest yeah. animated film ever made by a major motion picture studio wow yeah so matt hats off. so yeah hats off cheers off uh matt i'm curious how are you going to rate and grade Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse? We have Rotgut, the bottom of the barrel, well, call, single barrel, and top shelf. Hey, our adventures in the Spider-Verse have yielded, I think, just about a rating from each category. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah, where's Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse going for you? Single barrel with a bullet. Yeah. Uh, to, to follow up the first Spider-Man film... Mm-hmm which I think was wickedly unique for me in the viewing. And that it was artistically. And then to expand and make that better in the second one. Mm -hmm. And then master what I thought the first one suffered with a little bit was the last third of that movie. I thought the story got to be a little bit absurd. Yeah. Um, I still liked it, but Mm -hmm. I I thought the last third was 
left a bit to be desired. Mm. This movie had a larger scope and feel that it got to play on with many more characters, yet managed to remain linear enough to make me believe like, oh, gravity still exists. Yeah. And people can't just fly through space with no rhyme or reason and no consequence. And there was like my argument that I made off mic with the first film was there was no mass in the film. Like there was just no volume or depth to the characters Mm -hmm. and they're just sort of floating around in that final bit between miles and the kingpin. Yeah. This didn't have that Mm -hmm. except in space where it needed to, this movie managed to adhere to some level of physics while telling a really complex story with lots of moving parts with a simple through line illustrated beautifully. If for nothing else, even if you hate the story, turn up the sound and just watch the art for two and a half hours. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, this was a truly unique experience and I didn't even get to what surprised me the most. And that was to be continued. Holy shit. This is the best ending in a Marvel movie I've seen in like five years. Yeah. In some time. That's a fantastic film. Fantastic, fantastic slam dunk film. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Love to hear it. Yeah, you, you you left me with a few extra days to kind of sit around and pontificate my rating, and I've kind of you know gone back and forth. I'm like, am I going top shelf? Am I going single barrel? Uh, yeah. I'm gonna go single barrel plus. Uh, okay. I, yeah, I'm with you. This is again on the animation front. It's about as unique as something can get. They're doing things in, in here that I didn't even think were possible with hand drawn animation. And I came up yeah. with this kind of analogy too. Like, I I got a really uh raise a glass to people that are able to draw and animate because me as a kind of a creative I can write a script I can get a camera and I can shoot a movie I've done it I did it uh through school uh but I can't draw to save my life that's well, a, no, me either. that's a very I think intricate uh style of art and creativity that you're either blessed with it or you don't have it and man, they found about the best people in the industry to, to jump on board this thing to deliver a totally unique product. And then you double down on that with this story that is heartfelt, germane to the Spider-Man mythos, opens up mm-hmm. new questions and and thoughts for us. I never thought I'd see something with Ben Riley or Spider-Man 2099 in it. And here we are. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can't, uh, single barrel plus. I, I tried to kind of think, uh, like right now, it's between this and John Wick Chapter 4, my favorite film of 2023. They're very close right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, this is a slam dunk. Go, everyone, go go see this in the theaters while, while you can on, on a big screen. Uh, yeah. And, Matt, I think maybe we answered our own question, but, yeah, I think we're looking forward to seeing uh, the next version of this, right? Yeah, March, right? I think I said that. Yeah, next March. March. Yeah, quick, quick turnaround, less than a year. So, yeah, I think mm-hmm. I think we'll we'll have some words to say about that once it comes out. But I think we have some words to say on the status of Marvel. Let's wrap this up with our nightcap. All righty, what do you got for us this week? Let's go the other way. So if we did 
the three characters that are in or franchises or teams that are in the worst state for Marvel, let's go on the positive because this was a positive experience. What three characters, teams, entities you feel at this point are in the best place for Marvel? Three, three, two, two, one, one. Awesome. We both have the same one, so we'll just do that together. <laughs> yeah. Do you want? Do you want to go first? Sure. Um, I actually, for me, I think number three is going to be Namer. Okay. I think Namer's in a good place. I think there's a play there with certainly mutants. I think I understand why he's a villain, and maybe he can play the role of Loki in this next phase, the way Loki did in that first round for Marvel. You know how Loki, when they kind of just needed a general bad that had some some gravity and some weight. I think he could be that, but I think even better, because I think he's actually a cooler character than Loki is. Oh mm-hmm. my God, I just said that. I did. <laughs> um, certainly plays into the mutant thing, and we haven't even talked about his role yeah. with the Fantastic Four. Yeah, He brings with him to something that also Loki did, and that's a brand new world. Marvel can now play in the water. There and go. so I think... We'll see where we go with him and what ends up happening and the air too, because it can fly. Don't forget that. So those two things, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll see where we go with him. But I think that villain is in really, really good shape. It almost makes me wonder with all the Jonathan Major stuff going on, if there's not an about face we might see with that character, but not, not advanced as of yet. That's my third. What's your third? My number three, uh, I'm actually going to go with Dr. Strange and the mystic world of the Marvel universe. Uh, I think we, you and I were both, you know, lukewarm to positive on uh, Strange of Madness. Uh, I think there was stuff in there we liked and then stuff in there we were just like, what the hell is even going on in here? But uh, I think it still left it in a place where I'm still curious. I still want to know, you know, the Scarlet Witch of it all, like what's going on there. Uh, you know, Clea and Doctor Strange. I think there's a lot left to dive into with that character uh, yeah. and you know, we both like, uh, the Cumberbatch. So I think there's, I think it's still in a good place. You know, you know, I think Raimi has been talked about to come back to do another one. And it, Sam Raimi's name has been floated around to helm Avengers secret wars, which signed me up, man. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think, I think strange, even though like, I don't like, I don't think we gave it higher than call. Uh, I still think it's in a better place than any of the three things that I mentioned in the flight. I would agree with you 100% on that so much. In fact, that's also my number two, Mm. Dr. Strange. Um, Everything you just said, I'm going to double down on. And I think one of the things that maybe you didn't mention that also plays is if he is as knowledgeable about the quantum, I'm sorry, the, the mysticism of the multiverse as it is, then he gets to helm the brain trust for what seems to be coming. All things hinted at is sort of an Illuminati version with Reed Richards and uh, Professor Xavier, certainly Dr. Strange. Um, That's a bit Professor Hulk, but I guess maybe that's in play there too. Uh, (laughs) That damn Hulk. Someone that kind of controls the puppet strings on that. Yeah. And this way that they are insistent upon going, he's, he's in really important position and thank God they haven't done anything to ruin him yet. So he's my number two. Awesome. Awesome. My number two is a little bit off the beaten path, but still very much in play. And I know we're taking a long time to get the mutants there, but they're about to tap into something that I think has worked really well for them. And this is it's Deadpool. 
uh, and uh, mm-hmm. bringing back uh, the most famous mutant of all, Wolverine, Mr. Hugh Jackman himself, back into the fold. I think that's a property and an idea that I think still has a lot of play. I think we still, I think Deadpool still feels pretty pretty fresh uh, in terms of the comedy and the the crudeness of it all. Um, but this potential team up that they're currently filming right now with him and Jackman, I mean, that just sounds like music to my ears. So even though the mutants are taking a lot longer to get to the MCU, I think we're going to get it in a state that we're familiar with and comfortable with that. That could still be a winning formula going forward. Love that. Yeah. Funny that it's Deadpool, the comedic version of that story that might be the one that brings all the mutants together. That's pretty crazy. To think yeah. About. And, you know, they're doing how co- things have, have progressed over the years. Sure. Yeah. What that looks like with, you know, Jackman, you know, eventually they'll probably recast Wolverine. But if we get to see him one more time, put on the, the, the claws and maybe the yellow and blue suit. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that's going to be great. I think that that and then them too, like, you know, off camera, they're a little kind of social media back and forth. There's a lot of fun. There's some fun play <laughs> yeah. there. So I think that's just gonna, we're going to see that on the screen too. Cool. Yeah. Like just imagine when does that do what does that do next year. Yeah. Maybe later next year, 2024. Yeah. Um, that maybe I was going to backed up with a writer strike, but initially that's what it was supposed to be. Just like late 23. Just think how annoyed curmudgeon Logan is going to be with, you know, Wade Wilson just spouting his mouth off 24 seven. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 That'll be pretty good. The odd couple. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, our number one, I guess let's just do it on three, two and one. It's Spider-Man. Spider-Verse. Yeah. yeah. The, yeah, the, the totality of the Spider-Man world. So the animated universe, the live action stuff with Tom Holland, I'm going farther than that. And I'm, I'm covering the video game stuff that they've been doing as of late. Spider-Man yeah. is in fantastic shape right now. And I'll say it's, it's better. It's in better shape than anything over at DC Batman included. Yep. Yeah. I, I can't say it any better. Uh, this was, uh, slam dunk for something that is on the fringes of obscurity. If we're being honest about it, an animated yeah. Spider-Man sidekick that absolutely slayed. This is the best superhero movie uh, that maybe I've seen this year. Um, this is the best superhero movie I think we've had in in quite some time. Couple years, right? It's yeah. been a while. Mm-hmm. Maybe since the last Spider-Man, since the. <laughs> Yeah, that, yeah, 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 No Way Home. Yeah, exactly. I think that was the last time you and I were pretty positive on one of these properties. Uh, and so we it, took a, a wild cartoon, and it seems to be trumping anything else we've done superhero-wise that speaks to, I think, the state that this franchise is in. It also speaks to, like you said earlier, mm-hmm. Sony managing one character instead of trying to manage a universe 75 characters yeah. at the same time. And look, they've had some misses in there. Like Morbius was a disaster. Sure. Uh, the, the venom stuff has kind of been hit and miss for me, but yeah. the Spider-Man stuff is really strong. This animated stuff is something I never thought I knew I would be this into. And I can't yeah. doubt the prowess of those two games and a third one coming out later this year. Uh, some of the best gameplay I've ever seen in my 30 years of gaming. Right. Uh, yep. just really thoroughly entertaining. And I think handled by people that I think really understand the character uh, um, and what makes him tick and what makes us really like him, the, the things we really like about it. So yeah, yeah. it's Spider-Man with a bullet. No, nothing else comes close. Uh, 
yeah. you know, what, what, uh, two and two, three and two are, are pretty close or, are, are good options, but I think they're all just really trying to catch up to the the greatness that Spider-Man's doing right now. True. Excellent. Well, to the theaters, right audience, you should go. Go check out Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Uh, check out Air on Amazon Prime. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, we got another big release coming out this week. We're going to give people a week to go check it out. That will be The Flash. Hey, man, more multiverse. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this time handled by that, oh, man, that like uh, that bastard son over there, DC Films, whatever the hell's going on yeah. there. But, hey, I'm going I'm going for the Keaton. And if that's, yep. if that's a, a, a shining light for me, I'll take it. But in the interim, yeah, and you, Ezra Miller's eulogy too. You'll oh, enjoy that. Oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> uh, Poor guy. Yeah, and I think that one's going to be very spoiler heavy. And I think, from what I've read, Matt, uh, this yeah. film has screened at CinemaCon, and it's been screening kind of a, across the globe um, as of late. And people have been getting their eyes on it, and the, there's opinions out there about the film. But I don't think they've seen the full finished film yet. Uh, And I don't think that's coming out until either today or tomorrow when we're recording this. Uh, Interesting. uh, So, yeah, it's a truncated ending. And then uh, the post-credit scenes have been taken out. So I think there's some surprises in there uh, that they don't want getting out uh, on the Internet ahead of time. So Sweet. Yeah, I think we need to go check that out. And then, yeah, we'll give people a week to, to go see it. But in the interim, we're going to open up a brand new summer movie cask. We've done the Hall of Fame cask. We've done the Hall of Shame cask. Now we're going to do something a little bit in the middle, and we're just going to call it Summer Box Office Hall of What? Uh, Films down the middle, uh, perplexing, confusing, hotly anticipated, equally disappointing. Uh, I think it's a collection of films that are going to, the conversations are going to be wild. Uh, and I couldn't think of a better film to start the start us off with than something you and I have talked about at nauseum off mic. We finally get to do it on the show from 2012, Ridley Scott's Prometheus. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You and I uh, have drastically different opinions on what this film is and isn't. Right. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Yeah. And all the conversations about God and Jesus. And I'm going to find the clips for you, Matt, because I know you're going to want to talk about it. Uh, And I'm going to play you trailer clips on what I thought this film was sold to me as and what I got it. And I kind of had a full come speak of Jesus, a come to Jesus moment in the middle of watching this movie in the theater. Uh, Make you an engineer. No, that. Yeah. Yeah. Made me a full on ad black goo coming out of my face. Uh, <laughs> that kind of made me turn a corner on what I thought of prequels. Uh, and I maybe just didn't need them ever again if they were going to be done like the way Prometheus was. <laughs> so well, I guess but, you knew where you are in your rating. Yeah, there, but yeah, I'm, I'm, but you know, to give Ridley Scott a fair shake, I'm going to go into this thing as fresh as possible. I haven't seen this film since it came out in the summer of 2012, which was a pretty monumental summer for film for me. Uh, Dark Knight Rises, The Avengers, this. Um, yeah, I can't wait to have this conversation. I think it's going to be a wild ride. Uh, for the audience that hasn't seen this film, it's currently streaming on Hulu, or you can rent on YouTube or Amazon, uh, wherever you need to find it. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be a fun talk. I haven't seen it in a few years either, so I'm going to sit down and burn it as well. Um, full disclosure, we do have very different opinions on this, and I'm a bit more 
pro than you are, but we'll see if that doesn't change. Maybe who knows? Maybe we'll both throw an about face and oh no, oh that would, entirely different perspective. That'd be wild. That would be that would be that something. Would be. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. cheers to you, Matt. Cheers to you, Jeff. Cheers to you. I got to get going. Uh, I got to go jump into the Spider Multiverse. Oh, man, maybe we can find a Spider-Verse where the Amazing Spider-Man 2 is actually good. And, hey, we maybe we actually get to see a Sinister Six movie. So close yet so far away. Maybe in that uh, that multiverse where you find that, you'll find our good friend Stephanie, and she's got the uh, spec script that we never got to see. <laughs> Snag that from her, will you? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Hey, let us write that, Stephanie. <laughs> we'll see you yeah, all next place. week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is property of Columbia Pictures, Sony Pictures Animation, Marvel Entertainment, Arad Productions, Lord Miller Productions, and Pascal Pictures. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. And then I looked at my uncle and... Uh, let me guess. He died. <laughs>